Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at LonghornPod. On Twitter, you can shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Also, follow us on Facebook, where we'll do our post-game live stream this Saturday, fingers crossed, as of 9.23 p.m. on Wednesday. We still have a football game scheduled, so... If that game happens, we'll have a post-game live stream on our Facebook page. But again, COVID tests happen on Friday. We'll see how it goes. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who thinks it's ridiculous you have to take back-to-back trips to Kansas, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Gerald, what's the what's the best thing in the state of Kansas. I mean, obviously, it's probably Jayhawks basketball or the Peach Basket Museum. I think where they uh, Dr. Naismith invented it. I, I don't know. Like, what's what's particularly worth spending one week in Kansas, much less two? Everything that I can think about Kansas is actually stuff about Missouri. Right, right. <laughs> Everything of like ah, barbecue, ah, like Chiefs, ah, like it's all Kansas City, Missouri, not Kansas City, Kansas. So like. <laughs> Everything I think about Kansas is all actually Missouri. That's correct. And that probably is the the best part about Kansas is proximity to other things. There is a Kansas City, Kansas. It's not as good as Kansas City, Missouri. We all know this. Like, I, I don't truly know. All I know is TripAdvisor, like, uh, when, when you look up Kansas, there's a Museum of Natural History, a Kansas Speedway, and something called the Boot Hill Museum. Um, so that's, you know must see uh, it is in dodge city all right so go to the like wyatt earp uh historical tour maybe maybe check the chisholm trail back to texas i don't know um it's kansas i googled best things about kansas and one of the top travel destinations that showed up is westboro baptist church which is all i need to know <laughs> about traveling to kansas Gerald, I have it. It's somehow buried under, like, number 13. The Evil Knievel Museum is in Topeka, Kansas. So, folks, if you're going up 
or you still are. You went up for uh, Manhattan in the, the Texas game one, and you stayed all week for two Kansas-Texas games. I hope during this week as you listen to this podcast, you have gone to or will quickly go to the Evil Knievel Museum, and please don't go anywhere near the Westboro Baptist Church. Or I hope you drove over the state line for the week, spent the spent your week in Missouri, <laughs> and then you'll drive back to Larry for the game. So as we're alluding to, Texas has a potentially maybe has a football game against Kansas on Saturday. We'll talk about that. Basketball has a big matchup on Sunday on the men's side and the women's side. So we'll talk about those as well. We'll bring you our Longhorns in the NFL update. We'll whip around that real quick. And then we'll close the show out with our uh, streaming recommendations for the weekend. So we'll start with this with this theoretical football game i'll go ahead and call it like i don't, I don't want to act like this football game is actually going to happen for numerous reasons but like covid right. there were more positive covid tests team activities uh were resumed wednesday but um again covid tests come out on friday and that's usually when we hear about games being canceled so we'll start hearing rumblings of it if it happens uh we'll know what's going on but Again, as it stands right now, 9.26 p.m. on a Wednesday evening, Texas is heading to Lawrence, Kansas to take on the perfect Lee winless Kansas Jayhawks uh, on the road to close out the regular season. This is a game that was uh, actually rescheduled from two weeks ago before the Iowa State game, or just three weeks ago before the Iowa State game, uh, because of Kansas COVID situation, which could also potentially cancel this game because they had like 75, it felt like, inactives last week. So we know, we don't know what's going to happen, but Kansas is winless this year. Their closest win is actually to, um, or closest to a win is actually against Coastal Carolina, a 15-point loss to uh, a team that's actually looking kind of legit after uh, the win over BYU. So um, you know what? The shots are doing something, and Kansas is not. They're not good on either side of the ball, but we have to talk about it real quick. Uh, so we'll start with, I, I guess, the offense, Kyle. Like, There's not really a marquee side of the ball, especially now that Puka Williams um, decided he was no longer getting hit for free. They've gotten worse. We actually scheduled this preview a couple of weeks ago, and their points per game on both sides of the ball decreased in three weeks. It's like by a significant margin. So the offense is uh, averaging just 15.8 points per game, 3.6 yards per play, or a .87 yards or points per drive, which is 125 out of 127 possible teams in the NCAA. So, um, not good. They're clearly tanking for uh, for Trevor Lawrence, right? Isn't that how it works? I, I think if you get last place, you get the the number one quarterback for for one year. I, I don't know. Maybe that's different different levels there. But yeah, they're 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 very bad. They're they're trying to be the worst team in the country. Like I said, the fact that they actually gave Tech a scare is just hilarious for the lulls. Tech was without Coach Matt Wells when they uh, needed a fourth quarter field goal to win that one, sixteen thirteen. But I, I don't think that result should alarm. Texas fans too much. Um, I joked before that, uh, you know, it was unfortunate that we were talking about a Texas team that had only gotten to play one of the bottom three of, of Baylor, Kansas State, and Kansas. And you saw what they did to Kansas State, and I don't think there should be a, a remarkable step up in um, competition or talent level again. Texas can always choose to step down against a uh, an opponent who's worse than them. They've done that in the past, but assuming that doesn't happen, Texas defense uh, should handle this Kansas offense without any problem whatsoever. 
Uh, I remember on our original, we did record this once and then had to throw it out. And they've actually gotten, as you said, worse. Um, And what I did was I went ahead and found synonyms to use um, so that I wasn't just saying they're bad. Um, They are substandard, poor, inferior, second rate, second class, unsatisfactory, inadequate, unacceptable, uh, deficient, unpleasant, disagreeable, unfortunate, unfavorable, unlucky. I don't know if they're unlucky. Uh, Adverse, terrible, dreadful, awful, grim. Um, So those are some other ways, if you're talking to people this uh, week about uh, Texas playing Kansas, that you can describe Kansas's offense. I will will say um, they have two quarterbacks in Jalen Daniels and Miles Kendrick who are not great. Um, if you have two quarterbacks, you have zero quarterbacks. But if you have two bad quarterbacks, you have double zero quarter. They don't have any good quarterbacks. I'll say that. They're not very good at throwing the ball. Basically, think what happened um, with Kansas State with their backup quarterback. Um, but, like, just about worse. that. Yeah, I don't know if they're worse because he's real bad. Um, but they are not any marked improvement. Um, neither Jalen Daniels or Miles Kendrick has been able to do what Carter Stanley did last year and actually was – great and had one of the best seasons in 20 years for Kansas, which isn't saying much. Um, but uh, yeah, the QBs bad. Um, Velton Gardner's not a horrific running back behind Puka being now their number one, but he ain't, he ain't good. He's not one of the top eight in the big 12, maybe not top 10. Some teams have too deep. Um, I don't know. Like the thing I'll say, the receivers are good actually. And this is what we talked about in the preseason preview. The receivers are good. They just don't have anyone to throw it to them. If they were able, if Les Miles was able to lobby the NCAA to be able to use one of those uh, receiver cannons where they shoot the ball out um, and somehow they could do that, the receivers actually aren't terrible. They're, I'm going to give them a top seven, top six grade in the Big 12 as a unit, maybe even top five. They're they're quite good. It's weird because there aren't like there aren't weapons. There are weapons, but there's not. I'll say, I'm going to say it like this. This is a, this is a bad metaphor. The, there are bullets in the chamber, but there's not a firing pin on the gun. Is the way like you? It's just, it's just a, a useless, impotent like thing because there's not a way to use these uh, use these receivers. And here's the thing that's gonna happen to us, Kyle, as we like rag on these guys, Tex- because Texas has a practice all week. It's gonna look shaky earlier. At least that's what I'm concerned about. And so. Um, you know, Kwame Lasseter is a good receiver. I think mm-hmm. he's going to be one of those guys that goes to the NFL and, like, he went to Kansas, right? It's going to be like an Aqib Tlaib situation where it's like, oh, they went to Kansas, but they're actually way better than Kansas actually was. And so, like, that's that's the situation. But, like, if you don't – and I honestly think the, the thing that Kansas struggles with the most is their offensive line. I think that's honestly why yes. it all looks bad is because their offensive line is no good. Their offensive line has been suspect all year. They've given up a ton of tackles for loss, given up a ton of sacks. They are not a good offensive line unit, and that kind of hampers everything. Regardless, we saw that with Texas a couple years ago, where when the offensive line is trash, you can't do anything on offense, and that's really where Kansas has struggled this year. Absolutely, and and look, I mean, the Big 12, preseason Big 12 team, and again, it was a COVID year. Everything was weird. No one knew it was going to happen. Puka Williams was on that, um, as he rightfully should have been. Andrew Parchment was on the preseason Big 12 team. He and Kwame Laster were looking like one of the better, you know, again, top five one-two punches. Um, But he's an incredible deep threat. The problem is he only has 197 yards this year because of that line, because the quarterbacks who aren't particularly good can't get five seconds to, you know, without having to scramble for their lives. And they're not particularly good in the pocket or 
on the run. Um, so they're just not very good getting them there. And again, in line only exacerbates uh, that. So then you take the running threat of Puka Williams out and you have really just seen those receivers, you know, potential what they could have been with a semi-competent team around him um, fall off. Because I think out of the offense or the defense, that's their strongest unit. And again, like you said, I love the, the bullets analogy. Les Miles is basically trying to take bullets out of the chamber and throw them really hard at people, which, you know, that, that doesn't just makes people a little bit angry at you and think you're, you're, you're deranged. Yeah, it's it's not working. I, I imagine the Texas defensive line and the Texas linebackers are going to have a real good time on Saturday. I, I, I imagine that Joseph Osai uh, is just going to have a field day. Um, and he, we'll, we'll talk about the NFL draft at this point because we don't know anything. But, like, this will be this will be a nice bow on the regular season for a guy like Joseph Osai, I think, who is one of the best pass rushers in the conference and has been played like that where people are like, we're going to dedicate two guys and a running back to block you. So I'm, I'm – there's just a talent mismatch. I think Joseph Osai is going to eat on Saturday. And I think part of that is going to be Kansas on third downs. Yeah. Because I think Kansas is going to get behind the chains. And I think Kansas is already not good on third downs. They're 23% uh, on the year, which is not great. And I think you get behind the chains, Joseph Osai and the rest of that defensive line are going to pin their ears back and kind of come at you, really come at you, um, you know, fast and furious. And so getting to the backfield is going to be a big part of the game for Texas. And, and I think it's something that, again, as we look at closing out the regular season in a potential bowl game, I think it's good to kind of get that rhythm maker, I guess is the best way uh, to close the season. Yeah. And, and, and Gerald, we, we good friends of ours who, uh, who host the, the solid verbal podcast. Uh, you know, a lot of people say we're, a lot like them, but uh, they they like to give the alliterative name to the uh, to the podcast each each uh, week or to the week I should say on their podcast. Um, and so I'm I, I'm gonna I'm gonna steal from them because it keeps popping into my head that this is stat patent Saturday. Uh, you could also call it stock raising Saturday for for guys like Joseph Osai who um, you know are likely to to have a chance to to be drafted well in the the NFL draft. But this is stat patent Saturday. This is uh, Sam Ellinger's chance to to add to his career numbers um, at least in the first half of this game. This is this is Osai's chance to, to to pad a lot of those near sacks and pressures into stats uh, into sack stats. Um, I think for defense and offense and I think that's a fair transition where we could talk about the Kansas defense as well. Um, I think this is a chance Really, and I say it sarcastically, but for guys to get out there, feel good one last time for the seniors, for the young guys, get a chance to prove what they have, kind of, um, you know, a glorified scrimmage, but, you know, you get to do it on, on national TV. And, hey, they bumped this one up from ESPN, you to big ESPN, and gave us a 3 o'clock time slot. So uh, there will be literally thousands of eyes. Um, I don't want to go any higher than that, but thousands of eyes around the country uh, watching this one. Because there's nothing better to watch. The defense. Speaking of nothing better, 46 points per game allowed a whopping 3.18 points per drive, meaning basically teams are averaging a field goal, better than a field goal, every time their offense comes on the field. That's better, actually, than their offense <laughs> at number 112 in the country. If you look at net points per drive, they're actually, like, I think 126 because their <laughs> offense is so, so bad. They're actually somehow worse um, with that stat. But it's just, again – it's hard to recruit to Kansas for football real easy for basketball, real hard to do it for football. And I think that less miles 
underestimated that, and I think it's not getting turned around, and it's probably not going to get turned around anytime soon. Uh, but defensively, uh, they've got a, they've got their safety um, Kenny Logan Jr., who's leading them with 58 tackles, two interceptions. Uh, Kyron Johnson, 42 tackles, four and a half tackles for loss. Um, they're not much better on third downs either defensively. They, um, I mean, they're they're holding opponents to 41 percent, which is again better than 50. Um, I assume they'd be giving up 50 and. When you go to the red zone, you're basically always going to score. You've got 41 of 43 as your red zone percentage, which is a 93.95 conversion percentage. Yeah, that's that's tough. But look, they had four takeaways against Tech. Three of them were fumbles. I think some of that would, would more fall on Tech not really securing the ball and doing what they need to. But, you know, uh, as long as Texas doesn't give the ball away four or five or six times, then I think there should be a chance for them to just, uh, just to eat a bit. Uh, there'd be a chance to, you know, like I said, get some get some seventh and eighth receivers on the field and, and see what they can do down the depth chart. Let, you know, a, a Smith or Whittington, like what we talked about in our in our recap pod for Kansas State, when the players looked like they just Ronnie Lotted, I guess the offensive version of that, and looked through a player as they squared up with them. If they caught a screen pass or, a, you know, a pass behind the line of scrimmage, Smith, Whittington, obviously Bijan, uh, just looked like, okay, well, the first guy I'm going to run through him or around him or past him. The second guy that, like, you know, just that assumption that they're going to beat that guy. Uh, you should see more of that on Saturday. You should see more of that open fluidity. I think, you know, Bijan should get lots of touches and, and actually he shouldn't, he should get some amount of touches, but for lots of yards. I like when he does that. Like last week, um, Roshan sh- should eat. Sam should do good. This should be a chance to see, you know, some combination of Casey Thompson, potentially Hudson card, like quarterbacks in there. This should be a chance for, you know, Texas offensive line to take a look at some of the younger guys. I talked about it in depth last week about, you know, what we need, the amount of snaps that we would like to see uh, for the younger guys for next year. Um, and, you know, this is that chance, even starting. I don't know. We'll see uh, who's all healthy with COVID and what that exactly shakes out to look like. But, I, I mean, this is the type of game that no matter who it is, this is a next man up, get in there, have fun, run the offense, uh, and do it well, right? So, again, assuming this game happens, assuming everyone is available, this should be a chance for Texas offense to put up i mean they put up 69 nice points last week and it it does feel like you know they can they can equal um that without you know any act of god uh during this game i'm not predicting that they absolutely will but if they have less than let's say 42 that feels like a that feels like a, a step back right it feels like that should be that should be a given on a team that's giving up 46 a game only reason i will entertain less than 42 is if the starters do not play in the second half of this game Mm. If it's so in control by halftime that they're like, eh, let's just sit all these guys and play all the underclassmen. Even then, Texas should probably sniff forty. I'm just gonna say, I'm just gonna throw that out there. Like, if they're playing all the twos, which they should, they should be able to play all the twos. They should be able to get, especially along the offensive line, guys you're gonna need next year. Get those guys in, get the secondary uh, as much experience as they can. This is an opportunity to get all of those dudes some shine as much as they need to. Gerald, I'm sure you you wondered, listeners wondered, how was I going to follow up because I used all the good synonyms for the uh, for the offense. So I'm just going to say in Spanish, this is a, a unit that is malo. Um, you know, this this basically, I'll, I'll give one more, is basura. Uh, this is uh, el dumstura. Um, I don't know if that's accurate. Uh, f- please feel Feel free to tweet it, Gerald, if it's not. Um, you know, th- this uh, th- no bueno. Uh, so there we go. I've gone deep into my 10 years of Spanish uh, education to uh, educate you folks in Spanish about how good 
the defenses. It's incredible that I took three years of Spanish in college and don't know uh, as much as I probably should. Uh, special teams, not a whole lot special about it. Uh, they've only had the opportunity to kick 10 extra points in nine games. That'll just give you a little feeling on, on how things are going Yikes. in in uh, in Lawrence. Uh, they've only kicked nine field goals as well, which is it's 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 a thing. It's not great. Kyle, um I have officially waved the white flag on Podstradamus, but I'm fine with doing some picks and predictions. You've won this year. It was well in hand. I'm I'm a man that's that's humble enough and, and gracious enough to admit defeat when defeat is there, and you, you made you crushed it this year in your predictions, and I was absolutely trash can water on my predictions. So um <laughs> Let's do it, though. One last ride, at least until we find out if there's going to be a bowl season or not. Uh, what are your Podstradamus prediction or predictions for this weekend? Are you ready, Gerald? I think um, the Kansas-Texas line is is in the 30 range. Um, it obviously can fluctuate depending on when you look at it, but I believe when I saw it, it was 31 uh, points Texas is favored by. Um, it looks like it's 29 and a half right now. Um, here's what I'm going to tell you, folks. My Padres is that Texas will win this game by 30 points or more. Um, that's bold. I know. Uh, they, you know, I, I would take Texas with the points. I would not necessarily take the game for the over because uh, I don't think Kansas has the ability to score many points, and that adds into my certainty that Texas can score at least 30 points, and they could pitch a shutout. Who knows? Uh, but this could easily be 45-3 to three or something like that, um, maybe 45-10 to 10 if Kansas gets real good. But I think there's at least 30 points of, of cushion in this one, and that's assuming that the second unit is in there on both sides of the ball for, for a decent portion of the game. Uh, my my lone Podstradamus prediction for this week is that I think that Joseph Osai comes away with three sacks. Ooh, three, three sacks. Let me let me say three. I'll say three tackles for loss. Potentially three sacks. I, I think he's just going to get in that backfield. I I think it's going to happen. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to shoehorn him into sacks. But fair enough. I think I think three tackles for loss for sure. How many Texas rushers over a hundred yards, Gerald? I think we'll go. I think we'll go with two, because I just I don't know what I don't know what Gabe Watson brings to the table. And since Ingram is out, um, we've seen. I think Gabe Watson has one career carry in the University of Texas, so it's just not a big enough sample size for me to confidently say. But I do think that Bijan and Roshan will probably. I it's hard to predict a repeat performance right. from last week because um, that was literally record-breaking for one of them and career-setting for the other. And so, uh, like, it's hard to, like, say they're going to do the same thing, but I think they probably both um, they both, they both flirt with 100 if they probably get over it. And we hope that Sam does not get 100 um, unless he has one scramble for 100 yards on a, you know, on a uh, good Kansas punt that pins us deep. Um, otherwise, uh, yeah, I don't want Ellinger getting anywhere near that. Uh, I, you know, I, 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 I don't... Uh, I don't know how many Whittington reverses you're going to get in this one for him to get uh, over a hundred. So I think, I think you're fair to say that it will be at least one, two would be nice. I mean, I think they're going to split carries. I think it'll probably be another like 10 and 10 kind of situation. And I crack off one or two big ones and that's a hundred. Right. And I think you could probably crack off one or two big ones from on. <laughs> if there's a football game, we will be around following the game on our Facebook page. You can follow us at Longhorn Republic where we'll do our post game live stream. But again, if there's not a football game, we probably won't do it uh, because, well, we need a game to do a live stream. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. 
With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. So on the hardwood, the men's basketball team, fresh off a um, a narrow, kind of frustrating loss to uh, basically one of the top two teams in the country, uh, came out and did what you're supposed to do, uh, even in a game that they probably underperformed a little bit and won their 27th straight game against Texas State, 74 to 53. Um Texas was off to the races early. This is probably my favorite stat of the whole season. Texas made 12 field goals in the first half, nine of which were dunks. That's like my favorite <laughs> statistic uh, that I've ever heard. But Texas, again, did what it needed to do against Texas State to kind of get ready for and get kind of mentally in in, in sync to welcome Baylor to Austin on Sunday. Yeah, they they also uh, the twenty three points off the turnovers. They also went seventeen uh, or twenty from the free throw line, which to me is the most promising part of this game. That's the most hopefully replicable thing is getting to the line and then hitting them. There have been years when Texas has gotten to the line and it's been one of the worst free throw shooting teams in the country. There have been other years under Shaka Smart where Texas didn't get to the free throw line. So a nice change of pace would be if Texas both got to the free throw line and hit free throws. And I think that could be, there's going to be a lot of close games in this season that we talked about the big 12 being loaded. Um, unfortunately, actually OU who's not a team I necessarily had in, in the top part looks decent if not quite good to add another team who could be a top 25 potential team uh, in there. Um, But anyways, there's going to be a lot of close games. And so hitting your free throws um, definitely, definitely matter. I was so torn in this game um, because uh, interim head coach Terrence Johnson is like a a big AAU guy uh, along the Gulf coast and coached actually a lot of NBA talent or a lot of college level talent, uh, including Jared Allen who who played for Texas. He's the interim coach of Texas state after they fired their head coach. Um, Danny Casper doesn't seem to be a particularly good guy was fired for insensitive language towards his players. Um, So I was kind of like rooting to beat them to win by 70, uh, you know, because and then also kind of half like wanted Terrence Johnson to have a good shot and, and get the full time head coach and maybe they split the difference because I think he you know the, the win was probably about what it should have been um, in general but the, the nice thing takeaway from this Greg Brown the third a guy uh, there's been you know unreal expectation for um, had a really good game. Only two fouls. I'm going to lead with that stat, which I was excited to see. Uh, and then 18 points and three blocks uh, for him. Um, and he was the leading scorer, career high, and kind of pushed the Longhorns. And the other thing that I liked is Matt Coleman had only an 11.8 usage percentage. He had six assists, two steals, and only five points. But it seemed like this was a game when he stepped back as he'd been so at the forefront of this offense and let guys like Greg Brown step up, let some other guys kind of step up and, and you know, get loose, get in rhythm, um, feel like, you know, they're ready to contribute because you're going to need more than just Matt Coleman as you go into the brutal Big 12 schedule ahead of them. Yeah, and I think that was that was the stat that really jumped out to me about this game is that uh, Greg Brown was aggressive and only fouled twice. That was the thing that, that really jumped out at me because that was uh, not the case against Villanova uh, in that last matchup, and that was kind of a differentiator for Texas. So don't want to don't want to really spend a ton of our, our basketball allotment on uh, Texas State when Baylor is on the horizon. So Texas travels up I-35 to Waco to take on um, 
again, again, potentially one of the best two teams in the country for the yeah. second time in seven days. They were uh, basically on the verge of a number one seed before the world ended in March. Uh, they returned five of their top eight players from that team. They are a good team, if not a little untested. Um, they're two of their three wins are against uh, Ulala and Washington. Illinois is good, um, but again, they they're we would have really found out what Baylor is made of if that Gonzaga game hadn't been canceled. But there is a this is this is kind of a this is a game that'll tell Texas if they belong in the in the conversation with the big dogs. Yeah, I mean, and, look. and they don't have, they don't have to come away with a win in this. It'd be great if they came away with a win in this, but like, do they even belong on the same court as a team that will probably has the potential to be a Final Four team uh, when the tournament happens at whatever point it does this season? I really thought Texas could beat Villanova and would probably lose a close one to Baylor. It was just my feeling before it all. They lost a close one to Villanova, so can they flip that script and beat Baylor and split that um, one and one in one week's time? They are playing probably two of the three best teams in the country. I mean, right now it's no joke. If you go to Ken Palm, which is the most trusted, obvious ranking of, of teams, Gonzaga uh, passed Baylor recently at number one, Baylor at number two, Villanova, number three, and Texas, number four. That's legitimately what the number one seeds, according to Ken Palm, if the tournament was tomorrow. So um, there's no, no, no joke there, right? Like Baylor is, really good they beat that illinois team you talked about that's that's quite good they're number five in the country they beat them by 23 baylor has the the tools to beat the breaks off you but then they also gave up you know even though they scored over 100 they gave up 82 points to an ulala team when baylor i think a lot of people predicted them to be good as the best defensive team in the country um so those things don't necessarily jive um but i think you, you don't start a Baylor conversation without talking about junior guard Jared Butler, who had a lot of NBA like lottery potential uh, picks, you know, conversation about him last year, decided to come back because they didn't get to finish out their season will most likely barring injury be gone after this year. Um, he is a, a, you know, Naismith player of the year contender, definitely the best player in the big 12. Um, I mean, very clearly a top two or three or four, five, if you want to, you know, stretch it player in the country, he's, he's, unbelievably good and he has guards around him who aren't that far behind him i mean they have the best backcourt in the country no matter who they run out of there uh next to butler i think you could put macy oteague uh a guy who who you know is probably a top 25 player himself um as as his other guard and then if one of those two are off uh davian mitchell is good on the offensive end and utterly elite on the defensive end. Um, he's a guy who's a, you know, was a, a defensive player of the year, semifinalist last year, probably a top, let's call it 75 player in the country. And that's your three guards um, who start. They also have some good guards. They rotate from the bench. The, the thing with this team, they're going to play four guards a lot with one big. Um, and their guards are good enough that they're going to get away with it. So Texas, how they respond to that, how they handle it, who they if they try to take advantage of their size and length and and get inside and bully them if they you know if they try to run a bit I don't know that you need to get the points where you can get them so if it's getting your athletes out in the on the run I get it um, if you get in the half court and you settle for three points that's probably a win for Baylor I think they should be hoping to use their size advantage their length advantage and attack because they really don't. Baylor doesn't have um, an elite big. If there's any any weakness, it is it is kind of their their four guard. Who's the one? Um, and and a big part of that is their best big, Tristan Clark. Um, you know, who was a very good player, uh, announced he was medically retiring just a couple weeks before the season. Um, and so that's a hole they're they're basically filling. And they countered it by again running four guards. But you you do need 
one big guy. I've never seen the five guards. Um, so, you know, Texas will counter that how they will. We know Texas has three really good guards and they've had some of their best lineups that have been some combination of those three, Kai Jones, um, you know, Greg Brown, whoever it is. Uh, if Sims, if he can really step up because he's the big guy in this game, I, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to come from, but I do think that Texas should give them an interesting, an interesting test because they have some size inside um, and they have a chance to, to, play the opposite game of what Baylor likes to play. The biggest advantage, the biggest thing Texas has to press. And, you know, when, when Texas has been bad under Shaka Smart, it's when they have not pressed the advantage of the bigs that they have. And so I think if Texas can do that and be at its best, because that opens up the entire offense. That opens up, um, you know, the Texas's abilities along the outside to shoot. And, you know, you've got you've got guys that are still out with injury, but even HEPA came back against Texas State and, and knocked down a three. So you've got, you've got the ability, and especially with a guy like Greg Brown, who's super athletic, Athletic, who you can uh, pound pound in the post down low. Uh, you know Jericho Sims is is a guy who needs to really be aggressive down low. Kai Jones is a guy who probably can and should be aggressive down low. So like Texas's aggression, I think in the and I think you said it in the preview. Like that's one of the keys to the season is like can Texas press the advantage of the the mix of size and athleticism that they have down low, and that's what Texas needs to do. Now that being said. Some of that puts you at a disadvantage when you've got a team that's playing a bunch of guards. You, if you're playing, if you're playing two and a half big men and the other team playing three small guys, then there's going to be a little bit of a of a mismatch against you. So it's kind of a a, um, a sword that cuts both ways for Texas. Yeah, and, and I think to me the biggest thing that I'll be watching is is can Tech Villanova basically erase Texas's fast break points. We talked about that in our review of the game. Um, can Texas get back out and score and transition? Can they score in the run? Can they, you know, get rebounds and immediately transi- transition quickly into getting easy points? Because points aren't necessarily easy to come by uh, against Baylor. Can they do that? And then can they protect the ball, right? Can Matt Coleman be the, the you know, low usage, high assist guy uh, repeatedly? Can that be a thing for Matt Coleman? Can he keep his assist to turnover ratio right? And then when he's not handling the ball, are Courtney Ramey and Andrew Jones going to be up to the task to being, you know, uh, efficient uh, ball handlers when they are the ones running the offense through them or, or even Greg Brown, who's at times when he was the lead ball handler on a play and we got him on the wing in like an ISO or a pick and roll situation, um, has looked at times like he, he's a freshman and trying to go too fast, do too much. Can he slow it down and make the right decision, make the right reads? And if they do that, if they can, if Coleman can continue to play at his fringe All-American level, can protect the ball, um, you know, well, right? Like just not have a lot of turnovers. He, he had he had two against Texas State, but, you know, with six assists. Like that's about where we want him. If he can have six, seven assists and only two turnovers, like, man, I, I'm feeling great about Texas's offense there. And, and, you know, as they run those pick and rolls, continue to get those free throws, get to the rim because Baylor doesn't have a lot, right? They're basically going to play uh, either Flo Thamba, who, you know, we love, um, the, 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 um, Flo Thumb is Congolese, the Congolese uh, Mobamba knockoff, uh, or the Cameroonian <clears throat> Jonathan Tachama Tachachua to to Yep, that's him. Jonathan TT, uh, double double <laughs> T last name. Uh, so they have fantastically named uh, African uh, origin bigs, but they do not necessarily have um, proven talent. Now I, that's not to say Flo Thumba doesn't have a ceiling, um, and that they can't you know. Do something there, but uh, 
can they get those guys in foul trouble and make them run five guards? Like, you know, like they don't have a lot of bigs where Texas, you know, has had some issues there. Teams have tried to attack Jericho Sims at all times and flop when he, when he gets in the paint and try to get Texas bigs in foul trouble. Can Texas replicate that a little bit? Can they attack the hole and, and, and kind of expose Baylor's one issue, which is depth uh, at, at that five position. Um, so we'll see. That'll be the matchup for me is protecting the ball getting inside and, and getting easy baskets and, uh, and and putting the stressor on the, the interior Baylor defense. So, again, that game is on Sunday. You can catch it on ESPN if you want to. But it's not the only big matchup of the weekend. The Texas women's basketball team absolutely blasted Idaho, 73-48. to 48. Uh, Texas was winning by 32 at halftime and kind of just coasted from there. Uh, Charlie Collier, 20 and 11. Uh, Charisma Ortiz, 15 uh, points, four assists, four steals. Um, our friend, our friend of the show, Jat, uh, Joanne Allen Taylor, 15 points, including uh, nine of them coming from beyond the arc. We're not going to spend a ton of time there because the Tennessee Lady Vols coming to town. They're not the Lady Vols of, you know, the early. 2000s, the early even 2010s, but there's still a blue blood and it's going to be a nationally watched matchup. If you're a team that's, if you're somebody that's into women's basketball, um, Tennessee is uh, currently coming off a loss to West Virginia in the, in overtime of the big 12 SEC challenge. Uh, they're playing Furman at home on Thursday. So they'll have a little bit of a get right game before, um, but Coming into Thursday's matchup, they're averaging 75, almost 76 points a game while allowing just 58. Like that's a, that's a good, uh, that's a good clip. We'll go ahead and say it like that. Absolutely. And I think you saw something from, from coach Schaefer in that Idaho game, although I don't want to spend too much time talking about it. A trend that I hope they can apply to Tennessee is they went 12 for 37 from three point range. 12 is the third most ever uh, made threes in a game and 37 is by far their, their most in a single game in school history. So they shot the three against Idaho and you have to wonder, was that target practice where they tuning up? Is that where they see, you know, they're going to press you. And when they get the ball and they create turnovers, they're going to get out and score the easy ones. I mean, is Schaefer basically the ultimate analytics guy? You're either going to get it right at the hoop for an easy one, or you're going to make, you know, the three is more than two math equation and shoot the three a lot. Um, the the other thing, like I said, Texas uh, forcing turnovers is a story we've been talking about and been fantastic. Only six turnovers against Idaho is, I think, the second fewest in program history in a game as well since they've recorded that stat. So, um, that's it, right? That's that's the Texas DNA game played under Vic Schaefer. Be smart with the ball. Don't turn it over. Press the heck out of them. Get them out of their cadence and rhythm. If you can't get them quick, get back and play good, solid interior defense. Um, you know, when you get the, the the ball, run with it. Just run, run, run. If you have to settle in the in the half court and run your offense, try to kick it, move the ball around to get open threes, and then you know, hope you hit half of them. Right? That's that's it's not incredibly complicated. It's just the ethos and the and the sticking to it and the finer points of it that Vic Schaefer teaches so much better than it seems like everyone else in the country is the, the more Texas picks that up, the more nuance they add to, you know, the understanding of his system, the more um, experience they get implementing it, the, the more that, you know, they will beat these teams in, in, a, in a Tennessee uh, game. Again, Schaefer comes from the SEC. He's 0-1 against the SEC, 0-1 against his former team, Texas A&M earlier, gets a chance for a little SEC redemption just a week later against Tennessee. So I think he's got this one. He's ready. Um, you know, obviously again, to show who the, the, the more impressive UT is. And let's not forget like 
each of these teams have owned a decade of college basketball. Before there was a UConn, there was Texas women's basketball with, an, with a perfect season in, in Jody Conrad. There was Tennessee basketball with Coach Summit that was just unreal for, for like at least 12 years. Just unreal off the charts, you know, and, and both of these teams have a bit of a chip on their shoulder assuming that they should be in the elite upper echelon of women's college basketball. So it's a good one. Blue Bloods, uh, excited for it. It'll be fun. I'm excited to see it as well on uh, on Sunday. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a big weekend for the Longhorns on the hardwood. Absolutely. So let's move it, Gerald, to the burn orange lenses. Take a look with the orange colored glasses. We do have a little bit before we get in the NFL. Uh, there was five. Big 12 performers of the week. Obviously, three of them last week were football with, um, or excuse me, two of them were football with uh, Bijan Robinson getting the newcomer of the week. We talked about that. And Jameson being the special teams. But there was also two swimmers, both on the men's and women's side. Olivia Bray was the Big 12 women's swimmer of the week. And uh, the men's Big 12 swimmer of the week was Drew Kibler. And then on top of all that, Matt Coleman was the Big 12 basketball player of the week. So a good week passed and a good week uh, we're, we're hoping to complete uh, on Sunday there, as we talked about on the hardwood as well. Um, and an interesting day. We're recording this on the 9th, December 9th. This officially marks Chris Del Conte's three year. He showed up on the 9th three years ago. And I would say, Gerald, it's been a pretty productive and fruitful three years. I don't think, you know, we have to list every accomplishment, but if someone wanted to say, say that his tenure, you know, wasn't perfect because a certain coach is our coach or isn't our coach or whatever. Um, I would just point you to the fact that, you know, he's built like 15 buildings on campus or already <laughs> broken ground or laid funding and plans for it. Like he's, he's going to have, you know, uh, the, the, the genius of Ray Kroc is that he bought the land under McDonald's and changed the whole framework. I watched the founder the other day. Um, good one. <laughs> uh, the genius of Del Conte is that somehow, you know, he's, not putting the school in debt and still redoing entire facilities and, and making sports that are, you know, maybe not the number one most revenue generating sports, the cutting edge premier technology, softball, track and field, soccer, um, obviously two new basketball facilities, just facilities, 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 building new uh, things all over. He, he's doing an incredible job. Um, and so in three years that he's done all, all of that, I'm, uh, it's been, a, it's been an effective three years and and uh, happy to, to look forward to many more for uh, the the second most popular right now CDC Google alert that I have on my phone. Whether it's the game day environment that he's created, Texas was kind of a laughing stock for not having a uh, football game day experience. That was a, that was a home field advantage. I think the things that he's done at Bevo Boulevard and, and you know all of that stuff has been huge. It's been it's been an impressive run, regardless of the current football situation. Uh, I think Texas athletics overall is in a better place. Absolutely, and 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 so far so good. Knockout hires uh, with Vic Schaefer and, and Coach Mike White with the softball team, uh, and then let's not forget track and field. Also, I think Coach. Florial looks like uh, he's got good things cooking there. Um, so let's move to uh, the Sundays, the the gridiron, the, the NFL. Um, take a look real quick. So there's a couple key Longhorn and Longhorn games that I'm going to talk about. Seattle Seahawks were not victorious this week. We're opening with them instead of the Ravens. Uh, but they did did have a good showing. Quandre Diggs, three tackles, two passes defended, and an INT. He, he returned that interception of about 50 yards and then hurdled 
one Colt McCoy. That's right. Colt was the opposing quarterback. Uh, we'll talk about him in just a second. But this was consecutive uh, second consecutive game for Quandre with an interception, tying his career high with four this season. So he's looking good in his new digs, uh, pun intended. Uh, Puna Ford also had four tackles. And, again, I love it when the coaches who – like we talked about Belichick last week with Phillips, who aren't really effusive or known to be effusive with their praise, uh, go on and, and talk about someone. And, and that's what Ken Norton Jr. Uh, in, in Seattle did uh, about Puna. Uh, talked about his relentless drive, how he has sideline to sideline skill. He said, uh, it's rare. He's one of those coaches' dream players. And then uh, my favorite quote that he said was, you can't measure a man's heart. Uh, because we know the knock on Puna has obviously been his size. Um, but again, as this podcast predicted, a lot of people look very dumb for for judging that and not trying to uh, quantify the size of Puna's very, very large heart. Um, and so just, you know, was excited to hear that. Michael Dixon also had five punts, uh, 48.4 average, put a couple inside the 20. Um, but he had those five punts because they were trying to keep up with Colt McCoy. Undefeated this season, his first start since week five of 2019. McCoy's numbers, I'm not going to talk about that. Not 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 exceptional, but he did what he needed to do. Converted a two-point conversion in a close game. Put up points, had a touchdown pass. Did the nice things. Didn't get in his way. Even the, the interception that I mentioned earlier was tipped, uh, and that's how Diggs got it. It was tipped at the line. Um, I, I think Colt, he may not get a bunch more starts as it looks like Daniel Jones might be healthy, um, but he solidifies himself as one of the most dependable and excellent backups uh, in the last couple decades of NFL football. Just a guy who you know is going to get the job done and uh, so happy to see Colton victory formation taking a knee in consecutive weeks. Uh, just just a sight to see. And Colt said all the right things about it. You know, I just kind of waited my turn and did, did what I was, what I was supposed to do. I, I love getting to see it. Um, yeah, and again, it's always good to see Longhorns in the uh, in the league. That's right. And there was another Longhorn on Longhorn battle when the Vikings uh, topped the Jags. Chris Boyd had six tackles, but was had the unenviable task of covering Colin Johnson, who had at least two, three highlight catches. He had four total receptions for 66 yards, led the team uh, in receiving. He had a one-handed catch that was just a beaut um, and just a perfect jump ball that you, you thought should have been run about nine times a game uh, in Texas, but for whatever reason didn't seem to be commonplace. Um, and you know what I thought about, Gerald, when I watched this game? Um, their battle was excellent and spent a lot of time thinking about and watching Colin Johnson, even you know NFL uh, wunderkind Raymond Summerlin uh, texting us about uh, not maybe sleeping on Colin Johnson's talent is that next year he could have Trevor Lawrence throwing him passes. And if that's the case, man, I'm excited for Colin Johnson's career that could instantly take being in Jacksonville uh, as a detriment to, to, you know, a potentially really, uh, really devastating one to, or kind of pitch and catch combo. Cause Trevor Lawrence will put it where he needs to. And, and Colin Johnson's shown he'll go up and get it. Yeah. I, I mean, even if it's not Trevor Lawrence, I think, most there are a couple of quarterbacks in this draft that would be a upgrade for yeah. Jacksonville. I think they need some help elsewhere as well, probably along the line. And um, you know, running backs are kind of interchangeable, but there's some really good running backs in this uh, in this draft. So I'm, I again, they they need some upgrades, but it'd be nice to see uh, Colin Johnson playing with a with a competent NFL quarterback. For sure, for sure. So uh, we'll hit the rest of them quick. Kenny Vaccaro had four tackles. Also uh, recovered a Baker Mayfield fumble. I like when Texas players uh, pick on OU players in the NFL. Uh, It was a fourth and one quarterback sneak. Baker fumbled it. Um, He returned it 
about 30-some-odd yards to set up the Titans' final touchdown. Unfortunately, uh, Tennessee wasn't able to do the onside kick next touchdown thing and, and win the game, uh, but not for Vaquero's lack of trying. Um, Brandon Jones, uh, Gerald, got a W with the Dolphins. I think he was second on the team with five tackles. What do you think of the Dolphins, real quick? You know, I, I didn't I didn't know a lot about Flores when they hired him, but they're like 10-4 and four in their last 14 games, so they – Team have got the right guy at coach, and I'm excited to see uh, what they can do with all of the draft capital they have. I love that. And you said, I think last week, that they're they're a year at least ahead of schedule. Yeah. So uh, obviously, when you draft guys like Brandon Jones, who are day one ready, all the G- NFL GMs listen to this podcast draft Longhorns, Puna Ford, Brandon Jones. It's gonna work out. Colin Johnson. It's gonna Charles work out. Him. Just do it. That's right. That's right. We'll talk about him. Saints only allowed 70 yards to the uh, to the Atlanta Falcons, thanks in part Malcolm uh, Brown on the defensive line. Only one tackle, but uh, stout in stuffing the run. Uh, my Longhorn of the Week probably this week is Adrian Phillips leading the team with 12 tackles, one pass breakup, and just looking like a monster. When you play your old team, you know, when you see an ex-girlfriend, you want to be dressed well. You want to play well. You want to show out. You want him to be of that pinch of jealousy. I think 45-0 to zero, uh, will do that. Um, and Adrian Phillips was a big part of it. He was targeted four times, gave up zero catches. Again, he's a safety. So when he gets targeted, uh, you get, really got to keep those. He had one pass breakup, on, and the other three were incompletions. Um, and my favorite part, I went to go look up. What's Adrian Phillips think about his play? Uh, on Twitter, I, I guess I'd overlooked this. His Twitter bio, Gerald, is husband, gamer, somewhat athletic. <laughs> Which, for a player Fair. who is putting up a Pro Bowl season uh, for his defense, I think is just hilarious. Fair. I, I mean, I get it. Uh, Chuck Amenehu, uh for the Texans, unable to get the W, but he did look good. He's only played 49% of the snaps, and I don't understand why. And I, I do like, I'm in Houston, so I see Houston Sports Twitter. It seems like everyone is kind of turning the tide on the, on the defensive coaches. Why the heck is Amenehu, especially at this point in the season, not playing at least 70% of the snaps? He had two tackles, one tackle for a loss. He went up against a really good offensive tackle and won more often than he didn't. Just looked good in his time in there. Uh, he also had two of the patented J.J. Watt line pass breakups, jumping up and knocking down a pass, which uh, again is a fantastic trait for a defensive lineman and, and, you know, led a lot of folks to say the torch is being passed from J.J. Watt to his predecessor, which I don't know if you can have higher praise than that. Uh, Cowboys uh, took an an L, so both Texas teams losing this week. Um, Connor Williams, however, I, I was looking at the offensive line, is the only remaining starter from last year's team still playing, so that might explain uh, some of their troubles. There's lots of troubles, but some of their troubles. Connor's the only uh, consistent part of that offensive line. Trey Hopkins uh, consistent for his line, but also consistently getting L. Sorry for both of those guys. Uh, Kyle Shanahan also got an L. Falls a 5-7. and seven. Malcolm Brown, one carry for 30 yards for the Rams. Jordan Hicks, six tackles and a loss. One tackle for loss uh, himself for the Cardinals. And then Chiefs. I feel bad. I overlooked Alex Okafor. He came back last week after he was on the four-game IR. I thought he was on the season IR. And last week he had three tackles and a half sack. This season, or excuse me, last week. This week he had two tackles. Uh, his snap and count has increased about 40% over the past two weeks. So he looks like he's really getting inserted back into that Chiefs defense and making an impact. So I'm excited to see him and, and, and add him back to this section of the pod review. And finally... My poor Ravens. They did uh, get a victory, but, uh, you know, that's only because they played the Cowboys. So let's see. They snapped a four- or five-game losing streak. So that's that's good. you got to get out of the losing streak before you can get up. They didn't pass the ball a lot. 
17 pass attempts. Again, you don't have to to beat the Cowboys. Out of those 17, Duvernay got one catch for two yards. He did have a kick return for 28 yards. But again, if the team doesn't score because it's the Cowboys, you can't return the kicks. And if you don't have to pass because it's the Cowboys, you don't have a lot of chances to catch ball. So hopefully Duvernay will get some more. The saddest part of my week, Gerald, is a Longhorn. Justin Tucker went four for four, you know, from, from extra point. That's good. Uh, you know, uh, had, had a couple touchbacks, did all right. <sighs> he missed a field goal. Gerald, he snapped a streak of 70 straight field goals from inside the 40 and had his first miss from inside of 60 this season. Are you as heartbroken as I am, Joe? As a podcast that specializes in the specialists, uh, we hang our hat on, on how good Texas is uh, at those things. So yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's painful. I mean, 70 straight is still uh, is still a streak, and now he's starting another. Let's see if he can get to 75 this time. Um, Deshaun Elliott also in that game had seven tackles. But let's leave it there in the NFL, Gerald, and let's switch it back to uh, while we're watching on our screens. But outside of the sports room, got Godzillatron. Gerald, what are you watching on your giant screen? Uh, so I am uh, – I've got, gotten some streaming in this week. It's been nice. The kids are sleeping better, which is fun. So um, my favorite's Christmas time. So one of my, my favorite Christmas movie of all time, The Muppet Christmas Carol, uh, always comes out. It's in frequent rotation. It's it's. I would, I would argue it's one of the better ones. It's like a weirdly faithful adaptation of Christmas uh, Christmas Carol, but it just also happens to have Muppets in it. It's fun, and <laughs> the jokes slay me. Um, there's a movie on, on HBO Max right now called Chronicle. It came out in, like, 2012-ish, I think. Um, stars Dane DeHaan and a young Michael B. Jordan. This was, like, basically between... Friday Night Lights slash Parenthood, Michael B. Jordan. Uh, like the next movie he did after this was Fruitvale, which the next movie he did mm. after that was Creed, where he kind of blew up. Um, so it is, it's like that found footage thing that I hate still to this day. It didn't, that doesn't age very well, but um, it's one of the, I think, most accurate portrayals of what would happen if like, regular people and or teenagers got superpowers, meaning they would use it to get popular, get chicks and then become total jerks. <laughs> like those are the, the, the three stages of like teenagers with superpowers. I think that is very much uh, on brand for it. Um, and then you and I, this is the transition. Um, I spent quite a lot of time this weekend watching the Selena series on uh, on Netflix. We're about we're two thirds of the way through it. Uh, we can only get a couple episodes a night because you know we still have a baby that wakes up middle of the night. But as somebody who was young when she was uh, real, she got really famous. She got really famous when when you and I were very young. Um, and I just moved to I literally just moved to San Antonio right around the time she uh, was killed. So it's, it's it's interesting to see it. And you know the the movie that came out right after her death was uh, kind of her father's attempt at shutting down a lot of like the unauthorized things that were being done about her life and so this is uh, her brother and sister who were her bandmates throughout the whole journey um their kind of reflections on on the come up and all of that so again I'm about two-thirds of the way through it really enjoying it um it's just it, it's the nostalgia is great and I think the acting is actually um the the girl that plays Selena is really good um and the the guy who plays uh, her father Abraham is also really really good so I'm I'm enjoying it it's been it's been a fun kind of walk down memory lane as well Gerald, that's fantastic because I, Tom, yo, Tom Bien, keeping the Spanish theme going, also watched Selena's. I would do anything for Selena's. Um, uh, you know, I loved Selena. I, we're from San Antonio. I have made the pilgrimage to Corpus Christi to see the statue, which, you know, if you haven't, I don't know 
what you're doing, pause the podcast or listen to the podcast. It's a good COVID friendly uh, trip. You can go and, and day trip down to Corpus, see the statue, eat at the original Whataburger and head on home. Uh, and you hit probably TripAdvisor's two of number six, let's say out of Corpus. Anyways, I'll leave it there. Um, I love Selena. I jokingly, um, when we were saying we, we should talk about this in the podcast and we said, what if we just made the whole podcast Selena's theme? And I figured we could do it relatively easy with the basketball, right? Because we're going to, we're going to talk about how much Brock Cunningham, uh, loves to, you know, uh, dive on Como LaFleur. Um, and He's you know, how uh, for loose balls, come on, Kyle, it was there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give you that one. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, Andrew Jones has been good this year, but we need just a bitty bitty bump up more from him. Um, you know, I, I, we could do that. We're going to choose not to. We're going to spare you of that. But no, I will say the show is good. Um, I, I do compare it to, you know, the movie with Edward James almost playing the father and it's hard. I don't know what the actual father looks like anymore. I do, but I picture Edward James almost. So the new actor is very good. But again, I picture Edward James almost. So l- let's see. I'm only, I think, I'm five episodes through. So maybe, maybe he'll really uh, turn it here. But I do think he's good. Um, the, the the actress playing Selena is great. The stories, you know, go a little more in depth uh, than what we we know. If you like me, have watched the movie many times, have um, read articles and things. They they highlight some of the smaller concerts in the early days. Uh, things that you know outfits that may not be as iconic as some of the ones that got famous once she she really tipped uh towards the crossover mark right so um it's really kind of spending time marinating in the roots of what she's doing what i've got through so far um like when they play the petite strawberry festival the first time not the second time um and my wife was like what's in petite and so i again another road trip that i need to do um because that's a failure on my part literally for not taking her when it said petite texas i said strawberry festival is literally that's what right. I said uh, when it came That's across absolutely the screen. Right. That's absolutely right. Uh, and, you know, my wife is diligently Googling to make sure that the outfits in the, you know, outfits shown on screen and they have the hairstyles as wild as they may be were accurate, especially early on. She had a lot of different hairstyles, uh, outfits, outfits were wild and homemade. And like, I laughed at least four times when I saw them step out on stage with their early outfits, especially with like the space punk looking shoulder pads sequence bedazzled numbers like just some primo picks you know might have a halloween costume out of one of those but yeah it's it's very good gerald and um i'm enjoying it i will finish it and uh it's probably not the best thing you've ever watched but it's fun and uh everyone should watch it uh as well as going and seeing the statue Absolutely. And and this podcast will actually get you about halfway from San Antonio to Corpus if you're wanting to make that drive. Uh, (laughs) That's that's kind of all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can good folks find you on the Internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Kyle Kerbin. You can also follow the Texas pregamer at Texas pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Choose us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. So, again, if there is a football game on Saturday, you can catch us on our Facebook page for the postgame live stream. If there's not, well, we won't be there. Maybe Kyle and I will just come on you know, live and do a cooking show. Who knows? Uh, but that's <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in again this week. We'll see you on maybe Saturday. And if not, we'll definitely see you on Tuesday. And until then, hook them. Hook them. Shaka's Afro will lead us to victory.